the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. This great nation will endure as it has endured. Let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on earth. You are about to embark upon the great crusade toward which we have striven these many months. The eyes of the world are upon you. The hopes and prayers of liberty-loving people everywhere march with you. We're not, as some would have us believe, doomed to an inevitable decline. I do not believe in a fate that will fall on us no matter what we do. I do believe in a fate that will fall on us if we do nothing. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. From every mountainside, let freedom ring, and if America is to be a great nation, this must become true. So let freedom ring. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is Always Right Radio on AM 1420, The Answer. Here's your host, Bob France. Alrighty then, good morning to you. It's 10 minutes after the hour of 9 o'clock on this Wednesday, the 26th morning of the 7th month in the year of our Lord, 2023. Appreciate you being with us. As we get your day started, or if you already got your day started with Hugh Hewitt, that's always good advice. And uh, thanks for sticking with us here uh, for Always Right Radio. Coming up in about uh, in about 10.30, we're going to be talking with Congressman Max Miller. We have a lot of uh, ground to cover with him as we missed him the last week or two. So we're going to be talking to him about uh, some of what's coming up in terms of the committee hearings with respect to the Biden fam, uh, crime family. We have to kind of stop calling it a crime family now that the lawyer is calling judges clerks and and <laughs> pretending to be pretending to be uh, representing a different firm and asking them to drop the amicus brief that was filed, uh, including the testimony of the whistleblowers. Did you hear about all that yet? Yeah, I'm sure you did. Now that we know that the criminality extends from the Biden family, we've been calling it Biden crime family to the Biden attorneys, 
it's the it's the Biden crime syndicate. It's the Biden criminal syndicate. Figure out how you want to say it, but it's it's more than just the family. They got all kinds of criminals and crooks working for them, uh, and they're all trying very hard to save Joe Biden's presidency and to keep Hunter Biden out of prison. Neither one of those things should happen. Uh, neither one of those things should happen. It's why we have been talking about Joe and Hunter side by side, buddies in in arms, partners in crime. And Hunter's in the basement with a silver spoon. The hookers and drugs were gonna be there soon. When you're coming home, Dad, I don't know when. I'll be good and high by then, Dad. Yeah, I'll be good and high by then. Don't forget, uh, don't forget, Hunter's in the Basement is available for download right now on our homepage and on my page at whkradio.com, and you can uh, enjoy that and put it on your phone and share with others. I mean, it's so funny. We did it as a goof. It's just a parody is all it is. But it's amazing how how real life is mimicking that parody. It is just seriously finding out more and more and more about Joe being on the calls with Hunter when Hunter was on the phone with his Burisma uh, partners. The, you know, on the board that he sat, uh, or on which he sat in uh, in Ukraine, you know, he puts Dad on speakerphone. Devin Archer, by the way, is not testifying today. Turns out Devin Archer is testifying one week. Uh, no, not even one week from today. It's coming up on the 31st, so five days. He's going to testify on July 31st, and it will not be public. It will be transcribed. It'll be a transcribed interview with Devin Archer, uh, Hunter Biden's partner on that Burisma board. But um, the the the... The walls are closing in. They just are every single step of the way, and we're going to talk more about that. We'll talk about that with Max Miller coming up at 1035. Jack Windsor has the day off today, so just Max and me and you at 216-901-0945 and 888-281-1110. We're going to start our program today after we do our Pledge of Allegiance with something I have not yet addressed, which is the ridiculous, nonsensible, insane ramblings of one of the dumbest human beings ever to occupy a spot in a presidential administration, I think, ever. Much my lifetime, certainly, perhaps, ever. And that is, of course, the Vice President Kamala Harris trying to gaslight Americans into thinking uh, that Florida, is uh, the state of Florida, because of Governor Ron DeSantis, is trying to uh, proclaim pro- uh, slavery to have been pro-black. That slavery was a good thing for African Americans. Listening to the stories this Nimrod tells is absolutely, uh, it's mind-numbing. Numbing is what it is. Your mind will go numb when you listen to the rantings of this lunatic, uh, which I'm going to share with you in just a couple of moments. Then we're going to deconstruct the entirety of her ridiculous statements. Um this is all part, part, by the way, we don't live in Florida, I understand that. This is all part, though, of the wokeness that has been just forced into schools, into our culture, by the Biden administration and by the American left. This is all part of that. Florida saw the curriculum and saw what was being done in the schools with, C, uh, uh, with um, CRT, criminal race theory. I'm sorry, did I say criminal? Critical race theory. Critical race theory is devastatingly divisive. Uh, it, of course, pits op- oppressors against victims. We all know the story by now. They said, we're going to fix that. The left oh, you're trying to not teach about uh, you know the, the dark history of America vis-a-vis slavery. It's like, no, we've always taught slavery. We've always taught about all of the elements in American history in virtually every classroom, not only in Florida, but around, around the country. Uh, that includes pre-slavery, slavery, post-slavery, and so forth. Of course we're going to cover that. Well, that's not enough. So, okay. 
Florida said, we're going to give you an entire curriculum. We're going to have an entire unit that will be a year long on just slavery. And the entire unit is fine. There's one lesson that's included in one Paul, small portion of the uh, the curriculum that is going to be talking about how uh, enslaved Africans survived their time in captivity and how they used their own resourcefulness to learn skills that would benefit them not only to survive their brutal enslavement but to benefit them after emancipation. And they're turning that into, they said that slavery was good for blacks. It's unbelievable. I'm going to share all of the audio with you. But first, friends, let's stand. Let's pledge our allegiance to the flag that represents this great republic. If you are a supporter in any way of the Nimrod and the lies and the gaslighting that uh, I just described to you, or the uh, father-son criminal, uh, uh, Biden criminal syndicate, well, then you really probably have no respect whatsoever for this flag. You are therefore exempt from the request to stand and pledge your allegiance to it. You can take a knee over there next to those soccer players that I hope lose to the Netherlands tonight. For the rest of us, however, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Yeah, you heard me right. I uh, loved the U.S. Olympic hockey team because they beat the Soviets and we hated communism. I loved learning the history of Jesse Owens in 1936, shoving it right up Adolf Hitler's rear end with his Aryan supremacy views because we hated the Nazis. And I am rooting for the Netherlands to beat a bunch of women who hate the United States in uh, in the World Cup soccer tonight. All right, I take that back. I'm not rooting because I don't give a rip about it. I don't watch it. I don't do soccer, and I certainly don't do boring soccer. But be that as it may, you do have a bunch of American players who don't want to play for America. They're playing for their own selfish interests, and so therefore I feel no compulsion to support or cheer for them. And while they do this, check it out. They push forward revisionist history. Just yesterday in the state of Florida, they decided middle school students will be taught that enslaved people benefited from slavery. They insult us in an attempt to gaslight us, and we will not stand for it. First of all, your 70, 72, 73 IQ points do not even qualify you to, to discuss what gaslighting is. You're literally doing it. As you speak, you absolutely dense diversity hire who made her way in politics, not with her acumen, not with her talent, not with her intelligence, but with her female charms by way of Willie Brown. You do not get to lecture anybody on what gaslighting is while you are doing it. And while we're at it, neither does this one. Let's not forget what we have seen these past several months as we witness extreme officials in Florida and across the the country lie about American history. The most recent example, shamefully, shamefully promoting a lie that enslaved people actually benefited from slavery. Does absolutely no such thing. So the question becomes, do you want to listen to a couple of diversity hires? And I call them that insultingly. Yes intentionally insultingly because we were told that they were hired because Joe Biden wanted diversity. He wanted the most diverse cabinet. 
That included the press secretary position, not that that's cabinet level, but he said he wanted uh, to to uh, uh, diversify the cabinet more than any other, or the administration more than any other in American history. He chose a black gay press secretary because she's black and gay. They even announced it as much. And then, of course, before he uh, uh, picked his vice presidential running mate, he told James Clyburn and others in order to sure, ensure support from the black uh, electorate, that he would choose a black female to be his running mate. So he had to do that. So two diversity hires trying to tell us about American history, trying to tell us what Florida is doing when it is absolutely not. Now, I want you to listen to somebody who has a little bit a uh, little bit more knowledge and information. Dr. William Allen is one of the um, acad- academics that wrote the new Florida slavery curriculum. Dr. Allen knows more about this topic than, than Kamala Harris, who has, by the way, zero African roots, ever could. As we all know, Kamala Harris is not actually African-American. She's not black. She's, she's was born to a Jamaican and an Indian parent. So she is not black, but she is indeed a quote-unquote person of color. At any rate, Dr. William Allen went on with uh, Jesse Waters to tell the truth, to clear up what this curricula really does, what this curriculum really does, and bigger picture curricula in Florida. And I want you to listen to this. It's about two minutes long. It is worth our time. This is one of the people who wrote it. He happens to be black, Dr. William Allen, member of Florida's African-American History Standards Work Group that wrote this curriculum. Watch him take her apart bit by bit. One of the authors of the Florida curriculum, Dr. William Allen, joins me now. So, Dr. Allen, why do you think Kamala Harris is being dishonest about what's being taught about slavery? Permit me not to give you Kamala Harris's motives. They are invisible. I don't know them. We can all have suspicions that there's a dishonest purpose afoot. But what's more important than that dishonest purpose is the truth. And this curriculum is devoted to telling the truth, whereas Kamala Harris has retailed a lie. Now, it may only have been a falsehood the first time she stated it, but when you repeat a falsehood, it becomes a lie. Tell her right now what specifically this component of the slavery course teaches. Well, permit me to have Frederick Douglass tell her. He wrote an autobiography in which he described how the mistress of his slave owner began to teach him to read. She pulled back the curtain through which a glimmer of light shone before the master forced her to close it. But that glimmer of light was enough for Frederick Douglass to illumine a bright flame that he exploited to his benefit and his country's benefit thereafter. Such examples are numerous and they are retailed in the stories of people who suffered the indignity of slavery time and again. And quickly permit me to say, what this curriculum is about is having people who live the experience, who live the history, tell their stories. And nothing is more important than that we never, ever erase the stories that the people who live the stories tell. No one has a right to interpret before first understanding the stories as the people who lived them understood them themselves. Does that sound like a man who is trying to whitewash the history of slavery by changing the Florida curriculum? Does that sound like a man who is trying to say slavery was beneficial to black people? 
that slavery was a net positive for Africans who came here in such brutal conditions and who existed in such brutal conditions? I didn't think so. Kamala Harris thinks it does. And the reason why is they are continuing to take pot shots at Governor Ron DeSantis because he has been one of the most effective conservative governors in America. Obviously, he's running for president. Obviously, he could be a serious threat to Kamala Harris and to Joe Biden if something happens with the front runner Donald Trump and he is not able to become the nominee for whatever reason. And I'm not going to speculate on that now, obviously. But uh, Ron DeSantis could very well be a threat to Kamala Harris and Joe Biden, and that's why she had to try to take him down, saying that he and the state of Florida were responsible for this new curricula, if you will, that, uh, that whitewashes slavery and proclaims it to be something that was beneficial to blacks. Yesterday... Ron DeSantis got a chance finally to respond. She hopped on that plane very quickly on Friday to come down to Florida uh, to to spew this hoax. She wasn't going down to the border to actually do the job there to secure it. Uh, She wasn't working on all the cities that are decaying because of Soros-backed prosecutors. She's not worried about the military running low on ammos and weapon stocks. No, she's here to try to push a fake narrative um, about what Florida did. The interesting thing about this is Florida eliminated critical race theory from our K-12 through schools. we got to stop indoctrinating kids in this country, and we can't be teaching them to hate America. But in that bill, we were accused of not wanting to teach African-American history. It actually required that that be done, including talking about racial discrimination. And so these standards really were born out of that. And these are very thorough standards done by African-American history scholars. There is no agenda here. It is just the truth, uh, and they talk in gory detail a lot of the bad um, in American history, including, of course, the injustice of slavery. Uh, but she is trying to perpetuate a hoax, and I know they're using it to attack me because Biden's administration and Harris has been attacking me since they got in office, and they're always attacking Florida. But they're really impugning uh, the work of people like Dr. Allen, who were not involved politically, were just trying to do a good job and produced really robust standards. Yeah. So just to try to deconstruct it for everyone so that anybody who heard that, I heard that Florida is teaching a unit on slavery that says slavery was good for black people, that it was good for slaves, that they learned from it and therefore it was a benefit to them. You're seeing memes all over the Internet of enslaved uh, uh, Africans and the brutal treatment that they suffered uh, you know, from literally physical beatings and so forth and saying, does this look beneficial to you? It was never, ever, ever saying such things. And it took African-American uh, PhD, Dr. William Allen, who helped write the standards to correct the record. And for Governor DeSantis to highlight him and those who wrote the curriculum to correct the record. It will still not resonate with most American leftists, white American liberals who continue to shame themselves and their own children and the color of their skin for the, uh, the horrors of, of African enslavement here in the United States than the colonies. Um, it won't resonate with them. But for people with, again, a functioning cerebral cortex, they will understand that everything Kamala Harris said, in addition to being stupid, was also factually inaccurate. She lies almost as well as her boss, who is the worst liar in the history 
of the American presidency. And that is saying something. That really, really is. Joe Biden is is worse than she is. That's the reality of it. But now you know that part of the story. If you uh, engage in these conversations in your lives or in or online or wherever it is you might be, know the truth about what is going on down in Florida. Know the truth about what Ron DeSantis supports, what uh, Dr. Allen wrote, and know the lies of the Biden administration. It's 927. We'll be back. Sleeping masses and stoking the fire of the American dream. Always right radio with Bob France and the answer. All right, 936. Thanks for being with us on this Wednesday. We've got uh, Max Miller coming up in about an hour. You're going to want to hear from the congressman representing Ohio 7. So did you watch the debate last night? There was an hour-long debate that was uh, hosted on uh, certain stations all around the country, or excuse me, all around the state of Ohio. And here it was. It aired on uh, Fox 8, and um, it featured a debate between two pro-issue one and two anti-issue one uh, figures. Uh, on the pro side were, of course, uh, Frank LaRose, the Secretary of State, and the President of Ohio Right to Life, Mike Gonadakis. Uh, on the anti-side were uh, Democrat House Minority Leader Allison Russo and uh, longtime uh, left-wing journalist Mike Curtin. And uh, they debated. And it was a pretty good debate from the standpoint of how it was run. It did not devolve or deteriorate into you know name-calling and shouting and constant interruptions and constant needing of the uh, moderators to... Uh, tell everybody, you know, your time is up, your time is up, as they talk 25 seconds past the bell. In fact, most of them didn't even get to the bell. They they knew what their talking points were going to be. They wrapped their 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 points, you know, before their, their time was allotted or read it about their time was allotted. So from the standpoint of how it was run, it was very, very professional. It was very, very, um, uh, I think... Um, well orchestrated let's put it that way it was planned by the those who uh, hosted the event and moderated it very very well and they and they executed it pretty much flawlessly you don't often see debates run that well as to the substance yes i am biased because i am wholeheartedly and i have been doing this for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks telling you to also be wholeheartedly in support of passing issue 1 on august 8th it's the only issue it's a single issue election, uh, election. I want you to vote yes on issue one. So because of that, I'm going to see this a certain way. But I also think I'm seeing it the right way when I say that Frank LaRose and Mike Gonadakis did a phenomenal job of making a clear and convincing um, argument in favor of issue one. They, they really did. Now, again... If you're a boxing fan at all, you probably will understand what I'm talking about. If you go into a fight, you know, a big fight with, let's say, your favorite fighter against his biggest nemesis and enemy, typically you watch your guy and you watch all of the great punches he makes. And if he gets hit by some, you kind of like, you don't see it the same way. You know, you look at your guy and you think he's doing well, or even if he's not doing well, you recognize that. But you watch it almost one-sidedly. Debates can be that way, too. You can... You know, if you're scoring at home, you can put a you know a check mark in the in the box uh, next to your favorite side, and then you may kind of ignore the other side a little bit when they make good points. 
I tried very, very hard not to do that, although I am very biased in this case, and I do want issue one to pass, and I'm encouraging everyone to vote yes on this. But I really tried to not watch this like a boxing match where I only saw the good you know, shots landed by my guy and ignored the shots landed by the other guy. But having said that, I think that Frank LaRose and Mike Gonadakis did a phenomenal job because there is a two-pronged effort here. And we cannot separate the two. As much as a lot of people think they should be separated, I don't think it's possible. I might even think they should be separated, but I don't think it's possible. And, of course, the sides are protection of the Constitution and abortion and trans and all of the stuff that comes with what's heading our way in November. It is going to be certified. Frank LaRose, by the way, revealed that during the debate last night, that the signatures have been validated. They do have enough to get it on the ballot. So... We're going to have the most extreme abortion um, uh, law in the United States of America if this thing passes in November. We cannot get around that. That's just the reality of it. And also, along with that, a nice little side effect is it will take the rights of parents uh, from, from stopping their minor children from beginning the process of changing their sexes either, or as well, I should say. So it's really important that we understand there are two things here, the Constitution and then the most extreme abortion measure in the country. And some say that we should separate those out because if you are make this all about or primarily about right to life, which is Mike Gonadakis' wheelhouse, he's the president of a high right to life. If you make it all about that, you're going to lose because abortion is not a 60-40 winner in the state. Abortion in and of itself. It's not a 60-40 winner. You're going to have to pull people in who see the threat that's coming if we don't pass issue one um, in a lot of other forms. Whether it be minimum wage issues, they're going to be crushing businesses. Whether it be gun rights or gun control um, you know, potential amendments thrown into the Ohio Constitution, again, now that they know it is up for sale, and as Frank LaRose said last night, that it's an easy mark. If we don't point out the fact that losing Issue 1 in August is going to open up the floodgates for the purchasing of amendments, the purchasing of the Ohio Constitution by wealthy out-of-state interests, we're going to be in trouble is the abortion issue a huge part of this? Absolutely. Can they be separated out, like I said, even if they should be, for the reasons that you don't want to drive away some who are not necessarily hardliners on abortion but might actually be amenable to the argument about protecting the Ohio Constitution? Yeah, I mean, again, I really do think we need to separate those two things, but they're going to be inextricably linked. The fact that the two uh, people chosen to argue on behalf of Issue 1 were Frank LaRose and Mike Gonadakis proves that. I mean, one is the right to life, which is not specifically about issue one. The right to life, uh, uh, you know, uh, Ohio Right to Life organization and Cleveland Right to Life and all the others, you know, they're more concerned with what's going to happen in November, which is why issue one is important. But it cannot be allowed to be framed as just this just being only on the ballot in a special election in August so that we can stop the abortion, uh, the radical extremist abortion uh, measure from passing in November. We have to make it about much more than that. I thought Frank LaRose did a very good job of that. I thought he did. Frank LaRose described the Ohio Constitution as what uh, is what it is at the moment. It's an easy mark. It's an easy mark for changing and amending, needing only 44 hand-picked counties to get 5% of signatures from, 
and then only a simple plus one voter, plus one voter to change the entire constitution for the entire state for all of the Ohio 11.9 million uh, person population. It makes no sense the way it is right now. It just doesn't. It is an easy mark. Getting signatures in 44 counties, which again can be hand-picked, usually by the radical left that wants to amend the Constitution for things like this radical abortion uh, and transing uh, a measure in November, you know, it, the reality is they know exactly where to look for their 44 counties. Now they can't ignore the rural counties that may see things a little bit differently. Now they cannot ignore uh, half of the state. All of the states should have a say in whether or not an amendment to change the Ohio Constitution is allowed to go on the ballot. All. All 88 counties. Because the Constitution doesn't represent just 44 of them. It represents all of them, right? And then the same thing with the 50%. As I've explained on numerous other occasions, if there is an issue that is dividing the state like literally right down the middle. If there's an issue that divides the state of Ohio to the point where like 50% really feel strongly one way and 50% really feel strongly the other way, and if they voted in that manner, just one vote, just one vote, simple, one simple vote, simple majority rules that would change the entire constitution, constitution for all of us. In a 50-50 state, no, no, that's not what constitutional amendments are for. That's what laws are for. That's what policy is for. That's what the Ohio Revised Code is for. Do you know why they call it the ORV? Why is it the Ohio Rev- or ORC? Why is it the Ohio Revised Code? It's called the Ohio Revised Code because it's changed so much, because laws are added constantly. Laws are changed. They're amended. They're stricken from the books. That's what's supposed to happen. You don't like the current abortion law in Ohio, which is the heartbeat law, then you go by way of policy. You go to your representatives in our representative republic. I thought Frank LaRose did a great job of pointing that out, too, yesterday. So did Ganadakis. That we are not, as much as they want us to be, those on the left, we are not a straight democracy where the people vote on every single thing that comes down the line. They correctly pointed out California is a state like that, where proposition proposition this and proposition that are constantly up there, and the state of California is in a constant state of voting because they've tried to almost take away representative, uh, the representative republic nature of our government. We're not that. We are not a strict democracy. We are a representative republic, and that means we choose our representatives to make policy for us on things like that heartbeat law. You don't like that heartbeat law? Get it changed through the General Assembly. That's how this is supposed to work. You don't get to change something in the, in the, in the bylaws of the state, which is what the Constitution is, when only half or less than a robust Strong majority. I don't even like the term supermajority. They did use that last night. If I had one thing I would take back or one thing I would correct or whatever, they continue to say we need a 60% supermajority in order to change the Constitution, or we should. You know, 60 isn't even a supermajority. Supermajority is two-thirds. Supermajority is 66.6%. That's the way I define it, and that's the way I understand it. Two-thirds is a supermajority. 60% is just a strong majority. It's not super. It's strong. 
And that should be bare minimum. You want to change policy, you can do it at 50% plus one at the legislative level. You want to change the Constitution, which affects every single Ohioan, not just today, but forever, because the Constitution is, is etched in stone. It's, it's chiseled in stone. And the only way to undo an amendment to that chiseled in stone Constitution is to chisel another amendment after that into it, undoing the previous one which, again, is not what the Constitution is for. That's what the Ohio Revised Code is for. The Constitution is supposed to be a forever founding document, and it should be an overwhelming number of citizens, voters, in our state to amend it and change it. That's the reality of it. Frank LaRose argued, correctly in my view, that the place for policymaking is in the General Assembly. The Constitution is a place for uh, the foundational governance of Ohio. That's the reality. So I'm trying to blend these two things in. LaRose pointed out, and I'll give you a couple of quotes, special interest groups have figured out that Ohio is a relatively easy mark when it comes to amending our Constitution. That is exactly correct. It is and as evidence of that, just look at the ACLU, look at Planned Parenthood, look at uh, you know uh, the Democratic Socialists, look at the uh, the uh, uh, Revolutionary Communists, look at all of the outside Ohio parties who are just funneling tons of money, not to mention just wealthy liberals, funneling tons of funneling tons of money into the state of Ohio in order to support this campaign against Issue One. It is an easy mark, and they're going to funnel even more money, obviously, into the November ballot initiative that is going to be there. Now we have confirmation of that in order to enable uh, the uh, uh, most radical abortion law. And when I say radical, it's the most extreme because it allows abortion literally throughout the entire pregnancy. Third trimester, partial birth, moment of birth, all of those things, that's reality of it, not to mention the trans part of this, which I can also talk on because they spoke about it last night, too. But that would be uh, enshrined in, into the Ohio Constitution forever, essentially forever, with only a 50% plus one majority, and it makes no sense. You better come stronger. You want to change our entire foundational document. You better come stronger with than half. Yeah, we got half the state on our side plus one voter. You better come with 60% or else, no, that Constitution does not get changed. If that sounds reasonable to you, then that's what you need to share with others. You need to tell everybody to vote yes on Issue 1 today if they can get by their their Board of Elections or uh, maybe on Saturday if they have Saturday hours. Find your own local board's uh, um you know, hours and days of operation and get out there and vote early. Or if you are going to vote on Election Day, I don't advise it because, again, things can happen to get in the way. Um, but you, you, you vote yes and you tell others, here's why you got to vote yes. Because they have completely conflated Ohio's revised code and its process for changing policy and changing law um, on that side of things through the General Assembly with changing the Ohio Constitution which is not supposed to be amended so haphazardly. There is no reason for the Ohio Constitution to be that easy to change. So I think they did a good job last night of arguing on both behalf of both protecting the Constitution, which is kind of Frank LaRose's you know, uh, bailiwick there, and, and then 
understanding that, yes, there is a direct issue in November that is very impactful and important to a lot of people in the state of Ohio, just like there is in the entire country as the entire country reacted and, and flipped on its head after Roe versus Wade after 50 years was finally uh, undone, if you will. Uh, so this is a major issue coming up in November as well. And, yeah, yeah, it should take 60% of the voters to do something as radical as uh, as enshrining abortion on demand without any reason whatsoever needed or offered in the state of Ohio. It damn well better require 60%. That's our job. All right, 216-901-0945, I'll come right back. So I do want you to tell me how you saw the debate last night. What did you observe? Did you see it the way I did that um, that LaRose and Ganadakis made? You know, because I didn't even talk about the other side yet. They, they made a very, very clear and convincing argument on yes for issue one. I, I swear to you, on the other side, it was really, really embarrassing. I felt bad for them for a while because they had nothing but the same tired talking points. In fact, Mike Curtin, for the overwhelming majority of his time to, sp- uh, time to speak, just said, that's a lie, that's a lie. No, they're not being honest, they're lying. Offer something, don't just tell me that you think the other side is dishonest. I got very, very little of that. Allison Russo continued, she did her part to, you know, kind of strike the, you know, this is all about abortion, and then we shouldn't be changing, uh, you know, listening to them uh, when, when, when they're, they're a one-issue uh, movement here with respect to trying to ban abortion for everybody, make the most, you know, strict abortion laws in the country and so forth. It was it was very, very, there was very little substance, very little content, I guess is my point, on the uh, anti-issue one side in that debate. But that's how I saw it. I w- I'm interested in how you saw it. You can call me after the top of the hour at 216-901-0945. But I also have in front of me um, an editorial. So this was really, really great to see. The president of the Ohio Senate is Matt Hoffman from Lima. And he wrote an editorial, a guest editorial that I want to share at least a, a few lines of because it's important, uh, and I'm so glad to see leadership like this uh, you know, taking place. They were for it before they were against it, he writes. The rabid opposition to state issue one is the height of hypocrisy by Democrats and the Columbia. This is op-ed ran in the dispatch, if I didn't mention that part. And the dispatch's editorial board. State issue one on the August 8th special election ballot would require the consent of 60% of voters to change the Ohio Constitution. It is a much lower threshold than one in, the one enshrined in the U.S. Constitution, which we've pointed out. But it is, it, is, it is designed to build upon the American tradition that protects the rights of all, not just the frenzied mob, special interests, and wealthy. The Ohio Democratic Party even agrees with the wisdom of not allowing a simple majority to change its founding document. Hidden deep within its own Constitution and bylaws, Article 4 states, the Constitution may be amended by 60% of all delegates to any convention. Senator uh, Vernon Sykes actually co-chaired the bipartisan committee that recommended raising the threshold for adopting amendments to Ohio's Constitution to at least 55%. So they don't even believe their talking point that democracy dies if we don't have simple majority rule of 50% plus one. They don't believe that. They don't practice that. It's not in their own party's uh, 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 constitution. It's 60%. They know that Ohio's constitution should be more protected than this. 
and they don't want to admit it because all they want is the right to kill babies and mutilate kids without their parents' consent come this November. They're the ones who are making abortion, honestly, the sole issue. I got more for you after this. Stay here. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. Darkness. This is Always Right Radio on AM 1420. The answer is your host, Bob France. All right, it is 10 minutes past 10 o'clock. Hour number two is underway. Thanks so much for being with us on AM 1420, The Answer. We've got uh, Congressman Max Miller coming up in about a half an hour. Looking forward to his thoughts on the Hunter Biden plea and much, much more. And I'm looking forward to your phone calls at 216-901-0945. Did you watch the issue on debate last night? If you did, how do you think it went? I am looking at it through optimistic eyes, perhaps because I am so obviously heavily invested in passing issue one. I think our our state is in a very serious and precarious position. If we allow amendments that are radical to get through into the Ohio Constitution, completely subverting the uh, representative republic and the process by which we make policy and establish laws and change laws and in in rare occasions... uh, remove laws from the Ohio Revised Code, our state is in, a, is in a very serious situation. We cannot allow this to be the norm. We are not a straight uh, uh, democracy. We are a representative republic. So I saw it through certain kinds of eyes, I suppose, uh, knowing that I do have that bias. I'm interested in your thoughts. How did Frank LaRose do? How did Mike Gonadakis do? And uh, what did you make of what the the other side is arguing? You heard it, obviously, from... Uh, uh, Allison Russo and Mike Curtin were on the uh, no side. So if you watched that last night, I apologize, by the way, I didn't mention on the air yesterday that it was coming up last night. Probably should have. Probably should have talked to you about that just to make sure that we are all paying attention to it so we could we could react today. But I did watch it last night, and I'm interested in your thoughts. I'm going to give you a few more lines before I get into the Hunter Biden story and uh, the latest on the uh, Biden criminal syndicate, which extends beyond the family now, and we'll tell you why in a minute. But I'm going to give you a few more words from Matt Huffman, who is the president of the Ohio Senate. Matt Huffman wrote an op-ed for the Columbus Dispatch, and uh, he took the editorial board to task for their complete ignorance of, well, I shouldn't phrase it that way. He took them to task and pointed out some of the hypocrisy in their endorsement against Issue 1 and uh, in support of the Democrats who who, uh, feel the same way. So... Matt Huffman wrote, and I gave you this part at the beginning, the Ohio Democratic Party uh, does not even agree that 50% plus one is a, and a simple majority is the, is the right way to change a constitution. Because, quoting now, hidden deep within its own constitution and bylaws, Article 4 states, the constitution may be amended by 60% of all delegates to any convention. 60. Not 50% plus one. 60. I mentioned Democratic Senator Vernon Sykes co-chaired the bipartisan committee that recommended raising the threshold for adopting amendments to the Constitution of our state to at least 55 percent. 
This one goes to 60, but clearly, even the bipartisan committee, even Democrats said 50% plus one is stupid. It's foolish. Based on the committee's recommendations, Representative Glenn Holmes, a Democrat, then co-sponsored a resolution in 2018 to raise the threshold to 60%. Let me say that again. A Democrat co-sponsored the resolution to raise the threshold to 60%. They know. They know full well that the current state of amendment, the process for amending the Constitution, is ridiculous. Now, Vernon Sykes is one of five Democratic lawmakers who submitted arguments against Issue 1 to the Secretary of State. He said it shreds our Constitution and takes away our freedom. Maybe he didn't get a copy of his own party's Constitution? In a 2017, or in 2017, the Dispatch Editorial Board endorsed the idea of raising the threshold. This is, again, I'm quoting Senate President Matt Huffman. In 2017, he writes, the Dispatch Editorial Board actually endorsed the idea of raising the threshold, saying, quote, there is much to commend about efforts to make initiated laws easier and initiated amendments harder. The board declared it should be up to voters to decide if initiating constitutional amendments should be more difficult, which, of course, it is now, and now they are opposing that very idea. It should be easier to make initiated laws, which goes through the General Assembly, harder to initiate amendments, which goes, of course, through citizen-initiated ballot initiatives. The Dispatch Editorial Board writes uh, Senator Huffman, Senate President Huffman, the Dispatch Editorial Board even criticized the current amendment process, noting how, quote, over time, the Ohio Constitution becomes weighted with ornaments more suited to the Ohio Revised Code such as livestock care standards and casinos. They were correct then, he writes. Now, the board has done a complete about-face. The board now declares raising the threshold would be reckless, reprehensible, and disrespectful to democracy. The vitriol, writes Senate President Huffman, is more than two-faced. It gets personal. The Dispatch Editorial Board, and I'm sure the editorial board of the Cleveland Plain Dealer and probably the Cincinnati Inquirer and Youngstown Vindicator, Toledo Blade, all the other, you know, the the left-wing Ohio newspapers, I'm sure they would all agree with this. The Dispatch Editorial Board calls Ohio Republican legislators untrustworthy and dishonest lawmakers, despicable and disappointing, dangerous and disingenuous, abhorrent cowardly because they claim they are willing to lie and cheat voters to win unbelievable he's 100 percent right of course senate president huffman continues all this because republican lawmakers put an issue on the ballot that they supported just a short while ago the rank hypocrisy of yet another far-left meltdown from our state media reeks to high heaven indeed it does No one sincerely believes, writes Senate President Matt Huffman, a 50% threshold will protect Ohio's Constitution. Democrats and the Columbus Dispatch Editorial Board supported raising the threshold until we put it on the August ballot. It took $50 million in advertising, but only 52.9% of the vote for the casinos to literally buy a law. 
and put their own financial interests into our state constitution. We already know that the big money behind the legalization of recreational marijuana is preparing for an assault on our Constitution. Forces looking to restrict Second Amendment rights or expand minimum wage costs on small businesses won't be far behind. And of course, the billion-dollar abortion-on-demand machine of Planned Parenthood lurks anxiously in the wings. If Issue 1 is approved, writes Senator Huffman, Ohioans will still enjoy a freedom not available in the vast majority of other states that don't even permit petition-initiated constitutional amendments. 32 states do not allow constitutional amendments to be proposed by outside groups. Of the 18 that do, half of them require more than a simple majority vote. I'll pause there. If this is such an attack on democracy, as they call it, to require 88 counties to get signatures and 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 uh, 60% of the vote to amend our entire Ohio Constitution, if this is such an attack on democracy, are they suggesting that 32 American states have no democracy? And mind you, no democracy does not mean a democracy. We are not a democracy. No state is a democracy. We are representative republics, as is the the, uh, the nation that we all belong to. Or that we comprise, maybe is a better way to say that. All of the states comprise, make up this nation. So um, are, do they not have democracy at the center point of their, uh, of their uh, government, government? Of course they do. Back to Senate President Huffman. Ohioans will still be able to easily pass constitutional amendments that enjoy genuine and broad bipartisan support. A prime example would be Marcy's Law, protecting victims' rights. It passed in 2017 with 82.59% of the vote. I'll pause there to say this. Obviously, if something is so urgent that it has to go into the Constitution, not into the Ohio Revised Code, if it requires an amendment and not a law or a policy, then it would be and should be supported by an overwhelming number of Ohio voters, much more than 50%, much more than 55%, but at least 60%, and in my book, like I said, it should be two-thirds. And back to the op-ed, it's really quite simple. A 60% threshold proposed in State Issue 1 would significantly increase the protection of the Ohio Constitution. And here's the real bottom line. If an idea isn't popular enough to unify three-fifths of Ohio voters, which is what 60% is, it does not belong in our state constitution. Let's underscore that. That was his closing line. That was his walk-off moment. If an idea is not popular enough to unify 60% of the voters, three-fifths of them, then it shouldn't be in the Constitution. He's exactly right. He is exactly right. All right, did you watch it? And do you have thoughts on it? 216-901-0945, 888-281-1110. We'll take a time out. Got more news for you on uh, the uh, Hunter Biden plea deal this morning. Will the judge accept it, or will the judge penalize the Hunter Biden legal team for fraud and for lying in an attempt to get uh, curry favor with and sway the judge one way or another. That'll be coming up on Always Right Radio, AM 1420 The
1024. Coming up in a few, we're going to be talking with uh, Max Miller, Congressman Max Miller, and I'm going to ask him whether or not he supports the uh, language of the Speaker of the House, Kevin McCarthy, who has doubled down on the potential of Biden's impeachment, or at least an impeachment inquiry. Put yourselves in our place. doesn't matter who's in the majority or not. You have somebody who went to the FBI. They had a 1023, which is the form they talk about, who says he, this is an informant that the FBI continues to use. They heard that there were payments to bribe, allegedly, the vice president at the time that the bribe would be hard to follow because there were shell companies that it would take you years to get through it. That was one allegation. We have a president who told the American public in October that he's never spoken to his family about any of their business. He said no one in the family had ever gotten money from China. Well, now that is proven not to be correct. We now have IRS whistleblowers come forth saying that the Justice Department used their power differently than David Weiss or Garland has said to the American public and to Congress and Senate. They also said that we all know the statute of limitations ran out for the the most serious part when it comes to the Biden family on taxes. But the IRS in whistleblower who when asked questions in that hearing said no it was on the table to extend that so the statute of limitations wouldn't run out and Davis Weiss let it go. So now you have the president saying one thing that we've proven is not true. You've got IRS whistleblowers saying something when it comes to government treating the Bidens different. You've got an informant claiming that the Biden family had been (coughs) bribed. Should you ignore that or you should investigate that? The only way you can investigate that is through an impeachment inquiry so the committee would have the power to get all the documents that they would need. What I said last night, and I continue, I said it before, when more of this continues to unravel, it rises to the level of impeachment inquiry. And there it is. And and this is what I was taught. He calls it unraveling, and we can use that terminology. I talk about it, you know, the puzzle pieces starting to come together uh, in the jigsaw puzzle. But the reality is this is absolutely headed toward an impeachment inquiry and probably the introduction of articles of, of impeachment. How can it not? And I mentioned early on in the program this morning, <clears throat> very uh, very early, that we can stop calling it the Biden crime family because it's the Biden criminal syndicate when it looks like his attorneys are just as crooked as the family is. What am I talking about? I'm talking about the fact that one of the lawyers uh, for for Hunter or for uh, the Hunter Biden uh, defense in his tax case actually made a phony phone call, if you will, pretended to be someone else from another firm from a firm representing the Republicans who are going after this and saying, please don't use, and I'm paraphrasing here, please don't use the amicus brief that we filed. We want to pull that back because the amicus brief included the testimony of the whistleblowers. You following that? They literally tried to poison the decision of the judge whether or not they should accept the uh, the plea deal, the judge should accept the plea deal, 
by saying we don't really want to use that anymore as a part of the case. So as you consider this, please please know that we want to pull it back. The judge last night was livid and uh, de- demanded an explanation as to the behavior and the conduct here by 9 p.m. last night, and she was going to address that as of this morning. And right now I'm actually waiting to hear what she had to say about that. But we're talking about corruption at the highest levels. First of all, the current president, the former vice president, Joe Biden, obviously his son, and now his um, his own attorneys. His own attorneys are engaging in illegal activity, criminal activity on his behalf to try to, again, provide some sort of cover. I think yesterday Tom Cotton called them bodyguards. These are bodyguards for the Biden family. And now the attorneys are, are playing a role in that as well. So it's pretty extraordinary, quite frankly. And uh, I, we're going to talk about that with uh, uh, Congressman Max Miller coming up here in a few minutes. Find out what the judge had to say. Find out exactly what they're doing with Hunter Biden right now. I wish I could share that with you. Well, maybe we'll find out here toward the bottom of the hour or in the bottom of the hour. And we'll have it for you on the other side. Stay here. Congressman Max Miller is next. AM 1420, The Answer. Spreading the light of liberty and holding the line against the darkness of tyranny. Always Right Radio with Bob Frantz and The Answer. Okay, 1036. Thanks for being with us on this uh, Wednesday. As promised, let's bring to the program, uh, it's been a couple of weeks, I think, since we've talked to our 7th Congressional District Representative, Max Miller. Joining us now on AM 1420, The Answer. Uh, Congressman, good to talk to you again. How are you, sir? Hey, you as well, Bob. Uh, doing well. It's a busy day today uh, in Congress, and I think for Hunter Biden. So everything, uh, <laughs> hopefully we'll get some answers. I'm glad you started there. That's where I was going to start with you as well. I mean, I'm I'm still trying to process what happened yesterday. We found out, according to uh, the judge, and she demanded answers by 9 p.m. last night, and I didn't see anything as to what she got from Hunter Biden's legal team. Somebody called the clerk and said, yeah, we don't want to use that amicus brief, pretending to be, uh, you know, representing the Republicans or somebody uh, about the whistleblowers, saying don't use that amicus brief that included the IRS whistleblowers when you make your decision as to whether or not you... Uh, uh, accept Hunter Biden's plea deal in this uh, in this case, you know, with the two misdemeanors. Uh, she demanded answers. I don't know where that stands right now. What do you have? You know, it, Hunter Biden, un- unquestionably, is, he's admitted to serious behavior. This guy didn't pay his taxes. He illegally possessed and disposed of a weapon and drug abuse. I mean, the guy is a criminal. And if anyone right now honestly thinks that, you know, that our justice system is going to actually deliver justice to anyone with the last name Biden, and we're not based on reality because what I believe and what I've seen and I believe what the American people know and our constituents back home is unfortunately we do live in a two-tier justice system and that some people are treated a lot differently than the majority of Americans that are within this country. And that's exactly what's going on. People can call it whatever they would like, but this is pretty black and white to me. Yeah, I think so, too. And, and as I said, it, it's beyond even the family now because there are a number of other individuals involved in what I think is criminal activity, potentially even his legal team like this. But um, can you know, I, I don't know uh, exactly what it will take for the quote unquote impeachment inquiry to begin. Kevin McCarthy doubled down last night and said, you know, the, we are getting to that point where an impeachment inquiry is 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 going to be necessary, necessary here because of the 1023, the FD 1023, because of some of the illegal dealings with respect to 
uh, you know, his criminal activity, his admitted criminal activity on the taxes and on the gun uh, acquisition, which he was not allowed to have. All of these things added up. And then we still have uh, uh, a couple of other nations in play here. China and Romania also allegedly buying influence, if not buying outright policy from Joe Biden when he was the vice president. You add all of these things up, it's screaming for an impeachment inquiry in, rather than a special counsel, because I can't trust that Merrick Garland would appoint a special counsel who actually wanted to piece all of this together. Right. And I completely agree with you on that front. The Department of Justice, in my opinion, is corrupt. And I don't trust Merrick Garland to carry out one iota uh, of of anything throughout this country and to do the right thing for the American people. Uh, But when it comes to this entire thing, Joe Biden has already said when he's been president that he did not have any business meetings with his son, Hunter. He has also said that he has not been the recipient of any money or financial backing from the Chinese Communist Party. Both of those things are factual lies that he has told. He is incorrect. He has been lying to the American people. There deserves to be an investigation. We in the House of Representatives are looking into him, but we're doing it responsibly. And I know that it's going to aggravate some people. doesn't mean that we're weak. We want to nail him to the wall. We want to get Joe Biden to the point to where we actually do move forward with impeachment, that we actually do impeach him, but have real factual evidence about his corruption, which we have, but need to move forward in that way. I'm not here to impeach a president like what the Democrats did to President Donald J. Trump. That was an atrocity. They ruined the fabric of our country, and they lessened the House of Representatives as an institution because they were so reckless with impeaching the president twice in the manner of which they did. We aren't going to make that same mistake here as Republicans. Um, we're talking to Congressman Max Miller. I completely concur, and I, and I respect that, but you're right. We are frustrated. We want action. We are tired of watching this family get away with so much when the evidence is so far. And that's the difference, of course, between what the Republicans did to President Trump when they impeached him, particularly the first time. You know, they did so on fabricated evidence handed to them by uh, the, the Hillary Clinton campaign, for crying out loud. That's how they got the entire operation, uh, or I'm, I'm sorry, a, a crossfire hurricane happened. We don't have that here. There's nobody making things up. There are honest whistle- there are Democrat whistleblowers who are willing to tell the truth about what was going on with respect to Hunter Biden, Joe Biden, Merrick Garland, the protection given by the DOJ. That's the difference here. So you're right. We are frustrated. We're glad you want to nail them to the wall, but we're like, let's get this show on the road here because time is ticking away toward 2024, uh, and this needs to get done before that. Without question. And, and would I like to remind everyone, because sometimes it can be frustrating for, you know, I've only been on this job for about six and a half months, or coming up on seven. But the legislative branch, we can't just throw people in prison. That is not what we do as members of Congress, right? We launch investigations, we hold people accountable, and we show the American people the liars within our government who are there and who exist. I believe we've been doing a phenomenal job with Jim Jordan and Jamie Comer and Kevin McCarthy as Speaker, uncovering all of this so the American people can see it. Now the American public knows it to be true. Now it's our job to relay that information and to then hopefully impeach the president successfully with crimes that he's committed while being in the Oval Office. That is, in my opinion, the best way to move forward with this and to look at it from every angle. Um, and, and, you know, what the Democrats did was so flippant. And, and like I said, it really ruined the fabric of our country and our Constitution, the way they handle things here in the House. I don't want to see that happen. I know everyone's angry. And believe me, as someone who had what, four U.S. Marshals show up to his door uh, about three years ago to serve me a subpoena? I know the deep state's real, and they'll do it nothing. Uh, well, sorry, they have no bounds to go after anyone that they would like, and they will continue to do that. But we have to act within our legal left and right lateral limits as a member of Congress. Last thing, you mentioned um, uh, a little bit about whether or not 
Joe Biden has been in business with Hunter. You talked about what he has been saying, denying any knowledge of any of, of Hunter's um, uh, business activities overseas. But Devin Archer, who is Hunter Biden's best friend, uh, one of his business partners, um, is going to testify next week, apparently in a transcribed interview, that no less than two dozen times Joe Biden has been on phone calls with Hunter and his foreign business partners. If that is proven, and that's why I think Karine Jean-Pierre changed her language, right? When she went from, you know, the president has never spoken to his son about his business to the president has never been in business with his son. Sounds minor, isn't, is very major. But uh, bottom line is, if it is proven, and if Devin Archer testifies that, that would have to trigger the impeachment inquiry, would it not? No, a- absolutely. And and when you look at an impeachment here, you're looking to see if a president has committed a crime while he's been in the Oval Office. And I personally believe that Joe Biden has committed a lot of crimes. And this is just me personally. I think he should be impeached for the Afghanistan withdrawal and for what is happening at our southern border every single day and resulting into movies that have been put on the shelf like The Sound of Freedom, which I think every American should see. That is what they are doing to this country. Um, and so fundamentally, yes, that would trigger, I believe, an impeachment. And I believe it would be successful coming out of the House and the Senate would have to take a strong look at it. And I believe we're going to have the evidence to where Manchin or Cinema you know, may side with Republicans, and hopefully we could pick up several more votes in order to make that happen. But we need irrefutable evidence to get through articles of impeachment through a Democrat Senate. That's the hurdle that we face here. We're talking to Congressman Max Miller. Let's pivot a little bit to some of the work that you have uh, on the Hill. The Freedom Caucus held a press conference yesterday where they basically repeated their demand to see all appropriations bills advance out of committee before voting on any of them on the floor. Uh, but apparently, according to what I'm reading, two of them are scheduled to come to the floor this week, while some of them do remain in committee. Uh, so it remains unclear if they will block those bills. What is your understanding of where the appropriations bills are, and what do you think of the Freedom Caucus's move? Uh, so I, I think it's important, and we all know it's important for Congress to, to pass all 12 appropriations bills to fund the government. Uh, I think this is something that we have to do and take a look at while being fiscally responsible. And that's why we had, you know, a couple weeks, well, weeks, I should say months of battling with the Biden administration during the debt ceiling negotiations. I mean, we even included a provision in the Fiscal Responsibility Act to ensure that it gets done. Um, all the bills that have worked their way through the Appropriations Committee and now House leadership, they've been working on bringing them to the floor in an open process that allows all members to give a chance and to give input. And that's that's what's happening. Now, I believe I'd like to see all 12 appropriations bills, of course, but they've already gone through committee. And what frustrates me as a Republican and what frustrates me as a member of Congress is that these individuals who are holding up the appropriations process, at least in my opinion, and I feel as if a lot of Republican members feel this way, We don't exactly know what they want or what they want to see that will come out of this that's actually going to help every American. And that's what I struggle with as a member of Congress is, are you holding this up because you want something that's going to be better for the American people? Or are you possibly holding this up because you want something personally that could advance your career and political agenda and your fundraising numbers? And sometimes I really do have a struggle with how some members act within this body. And right now, Bob, to be very direct, I think it's I think it's atrocious. Uh, we need to move forward with the 12 appropriations bills. We shouldn't move, uh, in my opinion, to shut down the government for individuals within our own party that have not been articulate and have asked for specific things, once again, that can help every single American. What I can see, they only help a few, if not themselves, and not the 300 million plus we have in the greatest country in the world. 
We're talking to Congressman Max Miller on AM 1420, The Answer, talking about appropriations measures. Now let's talk about the Farm Bill. Um, Oklahoma Congressman Frank Lucas says we're about five months behind right now in terms of agreeing on the parameters of a Farm Bill and, uh, and, and writing a budget. What, what, what can you tell us about where the Farm Bill stands and where do you stand on it? I'm optimistic about passing a farm bill, and I know a lot of people aren't. Uh, and I'll tell you the reason why I'm optimistic, and then uh, I'll give you my very uh, based in reality view on where we're going. I'm optimistic because the media, the Democrats, even some Republican members said, you know, you're never going to pass a border package. Well, we did. First time since the early 90s. You're never going to pass the, you know, the Fiscal Responsibility Act. Well, guess what? We did. Well, you're never, and I can go on and on and on about what we've been able to pass out of the House of Representatives. But this bill, this farm bill, are focused on the key priorities that we put together with our advisory council within the 7th District of Ohio, where former Congressman Bob Gibbs sits on and Director Brian Baldridge and great farmers from our district, uh, you know, like Roger Baker and Tom Demoline, great people who are giving us our priorities when it comes to the farm safety net, when it comes to crop insurance, conservation, and trade, to make sure we're doing everything we need to do to better our farmers and ranchers throughout our country. And 90%, I just want to say this for our audience, 90% of all farms are represented, for the most part, by Republicans in GOP territory. This is something that Republicans should move forward and support and to make sure we get our priorities in order so so our farmers know we have their backs. Just like we've had the NDAA and our men and women in the military, food security is national security, and we need to be there for them as well. Yeah, it is. You know, I, I, I mean, it's probably easy to say, depending on what we're talking about, there's nothing more important than this. And there's probably about, you know, eight or nine things you could say that about. But really, what is more important uh, than our food supply? What is more important than making sure that the individuals responsible for getting food to our table have what they need to have their needs met? And without any political, uh, you know, operations getting in the way or political agendas getting in the way, this is, uh, this is, you know, this is common sense. I'm glad you mentioned the rural areas, the farmland areas are represented by Republicans. It's up to us to make sure that these people are taken care of. Yeah, absolutely. And one thing I'd like to add is our office has been working extremely hard on renewable fuels. So sustainable aviation fuels uh, within the Farm Bill, we're leading the effort on that because right now, I think even, you know, everyone knows this, we don't have hybrid planes that are in the air. Uh, And as the Biden administration has their attack on our energy independence, even though they caved on codifying the NEPA reforms and the debt ceiling bill, which is good for the permitting process and oil and gas, we need jet fuel to go to our planes so we can make sure that Americans are traveling safely throughout our country and across the globe, not to mention how much this is going to help our farmers uh, in their income and revenue when we're working together in the private sector, creating this beautiful relationship. This is one of the things that we're working on very hard in order to help our farmers and to bring that economic revenue back to the great state of Ohio uh, when it also comes to oil, natural gas, and renewable energies as well. Now, wait a minute. Um, did I did I misunderstand you? Now, are you saying we don't have EV airplanes? We don't have electric airplanes? <laughs> <laughs> we actually need well, you know, you're, Go ahead. Well, no, Bob, just, you know, we, I, we, lived in a, we lived in a country not too long ago where you would have the free market, you know, go ahead and, and tell the American people, the consumers of where they should go. Now we live in a world that's mandated by the government that you're dictated to be an electric vehicle or you can face a fine. You're dictated to now, if you like your gas stove, oh, no, it's dangerous for you and you're hurting the environment. To be very clear, uh, and I don't mean to go off on my climate change uh, little rant right now, but if our country did nothing in terms of net zero emissions, it would be 13% of the world in terms of climate change. But when you have China and when you have India and when you have Germany, who supposedly cares more about the climate than anyone else but opens up two more coal fire plants last year, 
they're realizing that electricity isn't the way forward. And if you want to be smart, it's all about hydrogen and nuclear. And that's where we should be focusing on and never letting go go of oil and natural gas, because that's not realistic. It's not pragmatic. No, it's also not necessary. I mean, quite frankly, I mean, the energy movement, or excuse me, the electric movement, you know, relies upon, obviously, uh, you know, rare minerals, uh, rare earth minerals that we do not have in abundance here in North America would put us even further under the thumb of China because they're the ones going to be responsible for most of the, you know, the lithium, the cobalt, manganese, nickel, graphite, all these things that go into the electric batteries for all of the different things that they want to do. Not to mention the fact that, as, you know, you've pointed out and talked about, our grid can't handle that sort of thing, a massive... You know, uh, on a scale that massive, where we're gonna we're gonna replace the overwhelming majority of uh, internal combustion engines with electric battery things, we cannot handle that on any scale. It's not necessary because we have far more. Uh, uh, fossil fuels, you know, they say that they're going to run out. We have far more to, to last this country hundreds of years, for crying out loud. This is all about politics. It's not about po- uh, planet. It's not about the planet. It's not about the climate. This is all about politics, control, and power. At least that's how I see that. No, I, I agree with you completely, and I, I personally think it's money laundering from the oil and gas industry into the electric vehicle industry and to some renewables that actually aren't, you know, that aren't good. If you go over to China right now, uh, I, you know, every, everyone should look to see if they can find one solar panel that exists within the entire country of China. And then go drive through some of our farmlands in Ohio where people are turning our, you know, our farmland into solar panel farms. Uh, I mean, we're literally buying up, you know, the sucker's bet here from the Chinese, and we continue to do this day after day after day. Um, it's absolutely absurd. But I, I side with you on that a thousand percent. It's just money laundering. Um, and it's their way of doing it to help out their Democrat allies and cronies who, who now think it's their turn to get rich off the federal government. Is it um, popular to say we need to increase our reliance upon nuclear energy because that continues to be a fear for a lot of people? It, it, yes. And, and, and what I'd like to say and, and familiarize people and, and help educate them if they would like is that nuclear is safe, in my opinion. It already powers one-third of our grid, whether people realize it or not. And we're looking at things like small modular reactors that can pop up throughout our country that are incredibly safe and carry a much more heavy wattage that can power a lot more of our country. And this is where we need to be going. And if you care about the climate, it's one of the greenest things that we can do in terms of you know conservation and in terms of getting the net zero emissions throughout this country. So climate change activists, they should be in full support of moving forward in renewable energy like nuclear, like hydrogen, because that is the pragmatic way forward. And once again, just to triple or quadruple down at this point, we're never letting go of oil and natural gas. This is a pipe dream that some elected individuals like to talk about to drive the economy in the way that they want to see it. It is not going to happen once we win back more seats in the House, once we take back the Senate and get a Republican president in. This country will once again be a powerhouse when it comes to domestic energy, and we will once again be selling countries natural gas. And I want the Chinese Communist Party reliant upon the United States for oil and natural gas. That's where I want them. I want them in a box, and that's where they should be. Perfectly stated. You are a wealth of information today. Congressman Max Miller, thank you. All tremendous, tremendously important information. We'll watch and see what happens with the first family of crime uh, and follow up with you next time we chat. <laughs> Congressman, thank you, sir. We appreciate it. Thank you, Bob. I appreciate you. Talk you to you soon. 1054. We'll take a time out here. Always right radio. You want, you want a reminder before we go into the break here? You want a reminder of exactly what Biden said he was going to do? Would there be any place for fossil fuels, including coal and fracking, 
in the Biden administration? No, it would be, we would we would work it out. We would make sure it's eliminated. No more drilling on federal lands. No more drilling, including offshore. No ability for the oil industry to continue to drill, period. I guarantee you. We're going to end fossil fuel. What about, say, stopping fracking and stopping yeah. new pipeline infrastructure? Yeah. New pipeline, and, and, exactly. And no more, no new fracking. We are going to get rid of fossil fuels. I've argued against any more oil drilling or gas drilling on federal lands. No one's going to build a coal-fired plant again, and we're going to get rid of the ones we have now. Have a transition from the oil industry, yes. Would you be willing to sacrifice some of that growth? even knowing potentially that it could displace thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of blue-collar workers in the interest of transitioning to that greener economy? The answer is yes. There he is. The man is a walking, talking threat to American security. We'll be back. Okay, 1058. Quickie here before the top of the hour. We've got uh, plenty of time in the final hour of the broadcast to hear from you. You want to talk about the debate last night on Issue 1? We can take your calls on that. Frank LaRose and Mike Gonadakis, in my view, wiped the debate stage with Allison Russo and Mike Curtin. If you didn't see it, we can talk a little bit about it, and I'll tell you what did go on. Uh, what's your thoughts on that? Hunter Biden, we're obviously waiting to see what the judge does in that case. He's uh, appearing this morning, and in fact, I believe is there now, awaiting his sentencing to see if that uh, plea, plea deal is going to be accepted or not. So we've got that. And we've also got a couple of other news stories for you as well, including one prominent Democrat, former presidential candidate, says that MAGA Republicans are the reason it's hot this summer. Yeah, it's your fault. It's my fault. We made summer hot. How about that? Also, one traitor now escapes even the slight punishment that he got for being a traitor. And if you don't know that story, stick around. I'll have that for you after the top of the hour as well. 216-901-0945-888-281-1110. Either one of those numbers gets you here, right here on AM 1420, The Answer. It's not enough to fill me up. I need more than just words to say. I need everything this life can give me. Hey, This hour of Always Right Radio is brought to you by The Floor King and KeepingMedicareSimple.com. You and I know and do not believe that life is so dear and peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery. If nothing in life is worth dying for, when did this begin? Just in the face of this enemy? Or should Moses have told the children of Israel to live in slavery under the pharaohs? Should Christ have refused the cross? Should the patriots at Concord Bridge have thrown down their guns and refused to fire the shot heard round the world? The martyrs of history were not fools. And our honored dead, who gave their lives to stop the advance of the Nazis, didn't die in vain. Where then is the road to peace? Well, it's a simple answer after all. You and I have the courage to say to our enemies, there is a price we will not pay. There is a point beyond which they must not advance. is Always Right Radio with Bob Frantz on AM 1420, The Answer. Oh, yes, indeed it is. And hour number three is now underway. It's nine minutes after 11 o'clock on this Wednesday, the 26th morning of the seventh month in the year of our Lord, 2023. 
Jack Windsor's got the day off. He is out of touch, so we will talk to him again next week. Looking forward to that. But this hour is yours at 216-901-0945 and 888-281-1110. We would love to get you on the radio. So we're still looking for um, some updated information as Hunter Biden is in federal court this morning entering his guilty plea uh, to try to get him out of uh, you know what could be years in prison, quite frankly. Uh, others who had been charged with similar crimes have indeed not gotten sweetheart deals after long federal investigations. They've just been locked up. That's just the way that it goes. But Hunter Biden, of course, has the protection of the last name Biden. As we know, the last name Biden carries some weight, especially when it is attached to his father as well. And we all know what that means. Like father, like son. Ukrainian bribes are going to be there soon. Yeah, exactly right. Uh, but this isn't about the Ukrainian bribes. This is just about the tax filings and the fact that he has not paid or had not paid his taxes, and he got a sweetheart of a deal. Now, he was supposed to appear before Judge Noreka about an hour ago at about 10 o'clock, and we're still looking for an update uh, as to whether or not that plea deal is going to be accepted by the accepted by the judge. Now, Judge Mary Ellen Noreka, if you did not know, um, last night issued a scathing statement about a phone call that her clerk received from an attorney posing as um, a Republican attorney who did not want the amicus brief that was filed, which contained the testimony of the IRS whistleblowers to be uh, be, uh, considered in the judge's determination as to whether or not she would accept the plea deal. It was a Hunter Biden lawyer faking, pretending, defrauding the court and trying to tell one of the clerks to pull the amicus brief so it would not be considered in whether or not that plea deal should be accepted by the judge. It's unbelievable. She demanded responses from uh, Biden's attorneys last night. To my knowledge, I haven't seen any coverage of that, and he is in court this morning, so we're waiting to see exactly what is um, going to be the outcome. So he's going to plead guilty. And then, of course, that's just the beginning of, of the problems for Joe Biden and Hunter Biden. And it's not because there are so many people out to get them. When I say beginning of their problems, it's because of these are problems of their own making. Quite literally, there's, these are problems that they created by, quite frankly, being corrupt. I'm sorry for the overuse of quite frankly, but I have to be direct. This is just straight-out corruption. Now, I want to share with you this clip. This is Miranda Devine, who's been doing tremendous reporting for the New York Post, on the Biden crime syndicate, the Biden crime, we have to find a new way to say that to make it a little bit, a little bit easier to roll off the tongue. But, oh, you know what? I think I did it with Max Miller completely accidentally when I said the first family of crime. That might be a better way to do it. They are the first family. And first son, Hunter Biden, is, of course, at the center of all of this. So the first family of crime. Maybe we'll roll with that. Anyway, Miranda Devine has been covering this as closely as anybody, and she's pointing to the testimony that's going to be given by Hunter Biden's best friend and his business partner, uh, Devin Archer. Devin Archer was also on the Burisma board at the time that the Burisma company was being investigated for corruption. Uh, he and Hunter were both on that board at the time they were being invested, uh, investigated for corruption by the prosecutor general of Ukraine, Viktor Shokin. It is that prosecutor, of course, that Joe Biden so famously got fired for daring to look into the company that was, according to a multitude of evidence, enriching Hunter Biden and, by extension, 
a large number of uh, members of the Biden family. So Devin Archer's testimony, which is going to come in uh, transcription format next, uh, what would that be? It would be Monday, I guess, the 31st, right? Is Monday the 31st is when that is scheduled to happen. Yeah, it'll be on Monday. And Miranda Devine says, when Devin Archer testifies and when he is deposed, this is going to be very damaging to Joe Biden. I just want to show this picture. Devin Archer did a lot of business with Hunter Biden, and Devin Archer was around the Bidens a lot. Uh, here is just one photo now. Uh, this is at a golf course out in uh, Southampton, New York. Uh, Pascucci is the owner of the course uh, next to him. Devin Archer is on the left side, and there's Hunter uh, in his father. Devin Archer apparently has been scheduled to get depositions, but it didn't happen like three times, but now it will. Do, do you know what the holdup has been on this? Look, I, I think that it's really Devin Archer's lawyer and the House Committee have just been toing and froing about dates, you know, who's available and what time. Um, I don't think there's anything nefarious about it. Um, uh, it's it's now scheduled. It was scheduled for this Monday, then Thursday, and now it's scheduled finally uh, for this coming Monday, July 31st. Um, I, I think it will happen. And Devin Archer is not um, volunteered to do this. Um, you know, I'm told that he's not doing this out of revenge or anything. He's just decided to comply with the request from the House. Uh, committee. He's been at the centre of this story and been talked about non-stop for, you know, two and a half years. And I think he just wants to clear his name and tell the truth. And the truth that he has to tell is very damaging uh, to Joe Biden because, of course, Joe Biden's always maintained that he knew nothing about his son Hunter's overseas business dealings. And we've reported about the numerous meetings, uh, at least a dozen of Hunter's business partners who Joe Biden met, including in a, at a restaurant in georgetown so that's miranda vine appearing on fox divine and she is uh very knowledgeable about all of this again nobody has covered it as closely as she has and um hunter biden's business partner and friend evan archer not doing this voluntarily he's not a whistleblower here the way we saw in the other case you know with regarding hunter biden's tax uh tax problems and the irs investigators whistleblowers gary shapley and um uh, Joseph Ziegler. This is somebody who doesn't want to come forth. He just has to come forth. He's being deposed because he has been subpoenaed. And according to what Miranda has reported on, he's going to tell the truth. That Joe Biden has not only been aware of Hunter Biden's business dealings overseas, he has participated in them, at least to the tune of phone calls, being on phone calls at least a dozen. I thought yesterday the reporting was a couple dozen phone calls involving uh, uh, Hunter Biden's business partners in Ukraine, in China, and I mentioned before uh, Russia and Romania as well. Those are all unexplored avenues right now by the committees that have to be explored. That will start once we get the statements from Devin Archer, which of course will happen on Monday. So uh, I welcome your thoughts two one six nine zero one zero nine four five and triple eight two eight one eleven ten. Still awaiting word on what exactly is going to happen to Devin Archer or beg your pardon, to Hunter Biden with respect to the plea deal. If this judge, by the way, Judge Mary Ellen Noreka, uh is doing what she is supposed to do, honestly, she will look at the corruption involved, the cover up of that corruption, and she will reject the plea deal. If she is concerned at all about justice, and I, 
I'm not going to prejudge her. She's the judge. But if she's concerned about justice, everyone knows what happened here. The whistleblower testimony has to be considered. And the fact of the matter is that Hunter Biden um, and Joe Biden were not allowed to be investigated for all of their crimes because of DOJ protection. That's the cover-up. Gary Shapley and Joseph Ziegler were absolutely impeccable whistleblower witnesses who made this very clear. Their story buttressed by the FD-1023 form released by uh, Senator Chuck Grassley uh, that contained all of the information from the human sources the FBI uses uh, that um, uh, the Burisma business executive did indeed enrich Joe Biden and Hunter Biden to the tune of $5 million each, which, of course, would never have had taxes paid upon them because no one is supposed to know. The dollars were funneled through corporate or through companies. No less than 20, maybe 22 different shell companies. They were very, very thorough about that. That's something that Jim Jordan talked about, too, on, uh, uh, on uh, Fox News. Fox Business, I guess I should say. Fox Business. But uh, we're talking about a number of different companies that were used to launder that money. So we're going to have to wait and see if the judge says, you know what, this does not um, smell good. This plea agreement between a prosecutor who refused to go for felony charges when he should have um, and Hunter Biden's lawyers looking to get out of all of his and his father's. And, and, and inevitably what this will do and what the left will tell you on MSNBC and CNN and so forth will tell you is this close as the book on the investigation of Hunter Biden. Oh, he pleaded guilty. It's over now. Now we can't look any further into what he was doing because the case has already been resolved. He pleaded guilty. He was sentenced to probation. Uh, you know, some ridiculous uh, uh, other nonsensible, no punishment for the uh, for the gun crime, for the gun charge. And so it's over now. Now we can't go, at, uh, go looking into the big guy anymore. That's the story that they are going to tell with this, if this is allowed to be accepted. So Judge Norica needs to do the right thing here, reject that plea, and allow true investigative justice to take place. All right, 216-901-0945. Charlie is in uh, Brownhill. Hey, Charlie, thanks for joining us on AM 1420. The answer, fire away, good sir. Hey, thank you, Bob, for taking the call. Of course. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, a couple of weeks ago, uh, Tucker Carlson was interviewing Elon Musk, and he said the most dangerous thing we're living in is irony. And I'm thinking, well, what does that mean? And I'm looking at Ohio. We're we're in an irony right now. We've been fighting for 50 years for states' rights, and now they're going to use states' rights against us to ruin our state. It's so ironic. And there's so many other, you know, getting Joe Biden as president is irony after having Donald Trump, the best president. We've got the most crooked president. Totally ironic. But I'm just wondering, if, have you, did you hear that interview? And what do you think of the irony that's going on in our country? Well, I did not see that interview, no. Um, but based on what you just said, um, it doesn't have to be that way, at least on the first one. Uh, obviously, Joe Biden being there, and, and, and to me what's ironic about that is he was supposed to be Mr. Clean. He was supposed to be squeaky clean, harmless Uncle Joe. He's the guy that would be you know, easy to elect to replace the bombastic orange man bad with all of his temper tantrums and his, you know, his, uh, his fake news speech and his wars with the media and all the other stuff. They wanted somebody who would contrast Donald Trump. Rather than a brimstone and fire, you know, uh, speaker 
on the Democrat side to counter Donald Trump. They wanted good old, reliable Uncle Joe. He's clean. He's neat. He's harmless. We can, we can control him. We can puppet string him. And he'll come back and he'll, we'll say he's bringing back dignity to the White House and bringing back honor to the White House. And we'll do a lot of really cool photo ops. And it'll be the total difference between that and, and Donald Trump. The irony there is that he is the most corrupt president in our lifetimes, maybe of all time. And yes, that includes his former boss, Barack Obama. The first family of crime here is in so many ways worse than even Obama because of accepting of direct bribes, because of lying about overseas business deals, because of obviously everything he did to kill the energy sector in this country and so forth. Everything that was done by Mr. Harmless, Mr. You know, we'll, we'll prop up this old sweet man here. Everybody loves Grandpa. Here's Grandpa Joe. Uh, I know I called him Uncle Joe, but here's Grandpa Joe, very different than Donald Trump. So there's the irony in that one. Going back to your first one, Charlie, um, about issue one and states' rights, it doesn't have to happen. You know, you, I get your point when you said, you know, the the whole argument was we need to strengthen states' rights rather than federal, federal uh, you know, heavy-handedness. And now the, this is going to destroy us, you know, with issue one. It doesn't have to, though. I like the fact that we have states' rights. I like the fact that um, the Roe versus Wade decision was overturned and the Dobbs decision. I like the fact that abortion went back to the states. And guess what? We are. We're a pro-life state. We're, that's the reason why we have the heartbeat law right now. And I know it's under, uh, it's, uh, it's been stayed and it's under review uh, in the courts, which is its normal operating procedure. But, I like the fact that we have the right as a, as a state to do what we believe in, and we believe in pro-life. And I think that's what's going to lead us to uh, passing Issue 1, and then it's going to lead us to defeating the November ballot initiative to, uh, to enshrine the uh, most radical, disgusting, um, heinous, barbaric abortion uh, law in the country into the Ohio Constitution. So, you know, it's, it, to me it's not irony because it hasn't been, it hasn't been decided yet. We haven't we haven't we haven't dotted every I and crossed every T and said, okay, this is the way it's gonna be in this state. We have a right and we have the ability to change it all come August eighth and then again in November. Still there, Charlie? It's on the side of my car, I've been in parade. But a lot of people don't understand it and and I, if you go through Cleveland, there's no signs everywhere. It's so scary. And I go, That's total irony because this is what we wanted we wanted dobbs overturned we wanted to go to states rights and they're using it against us i just hope we hope people wake up i really do and come out they are using it against us my friend but like i said we are not we are not defeated we have a right we can fight back against what they are using against us with our own rights and i think we can do that and i think we will do that i have confidence in the people in the state charlie thank you my friend appreciate the phone call the point that i'm making is that the the no on issue one side that is trying to dominate the conversation by confusing the issue and confusing yes voters into voting no because they you know because of what's happening in November that if you oppose radical abortion you know then you want to vote no they you know that's what you want to do in November and they're trying to confuse people into thinking that's what you should do in in August in two weeks and. Uh, you know that's 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 their attempt, but I I am confident of our ability to tell the truth, to clear the the record, 
uh, and set it straight. I think Anadakis did that very well on TV last night on that televised debate. So did Frank LaRose. I'm doing it every day on the radio. I know there are people like me around the state doing the right thing here and telling everybody. I know people like you are listening and sharing it with people in your lives and making sure that everybody knows the reality of this. And I think we'll win. I do. I think we'll win on August 8th, and I think we're going to win in November, and we're going to absolutely protect and preserve what this state really truly stands for. We're not going to allow the return to states' rights to be used against us. We're going to use it for us uh, and because we are a pro-life state. All right, it's 1126. We'll take a time out here for the bottom of the hour. We'll come back, get more phone calls, 216-901-0945. Dial us up and join us on AM 1420, The Answer. This hour of Always Right Radio is brought to you by The Floor King and KeepingMedicareSimple.com. Oh, yes, indeed, 1135 now. Winding it down, i got one more segment with you. Then we're going to ask Mr. O to take us to the top of the hour. He'll take you to some Charlie Kirk, who will take you to some Dennis Prager, who will give you some Dr. G, who will hand it to a little bit of Secular Live. Then we're going to give you some Brandon Tatum, Officer Tatum Show. Stay here. You want to truly analyze and get the facts on what's going on. Facts and opinions and analyses that are accurate and that are actually based in something and not left-wing propaganda, then you're just going to stay right here. Just keep the radio locked on AM 1420, The Answer, and make sure you know how to get it whenever you get out of range. You can get it on our app. I always tell people 1420, The Answer, the uh, free app. Uh, it's a free download. You can also listen online anywhere, any device that you have with whkradio.com, and of course you can use your personal assistance and tell them uh, to play AM 1420, The Answer. Uh, Matt Gates is going scorched earth right now in the Oversight Committee, on Alejandra Mayorkas. Alejandra Mayorkas, of course, is the Secretary of Homeland Security who has completely sacrificed the sovereignty of this country, I'm sure upon the direct orders of the leader of the first family of crime, Joe Biden. They have done everything they can to try to literally turn this country into a borderless uh, wasteland where people can just come and go as they please. Alejandro Mayorkas, yesterday Jim Jordan, I'm sorry, Monday Jim Jordan told us that Mayorkas would be testifying before the Oversight Committee today, and indeed he is. Listen to Matt Gates just lay this guy out Removal real quick. sounds very different than actually removed. So I'm not interested in the process. I'm not interested in what people are subject to. Two million people encountered and released. Not the expulsions under Title 42, not the criminals. How many of those people... Have you deported? So, uh, Congressman, a few points. Number one. Just how many of the people? I just want to know how many. It's just a number. Congressman, uh, we are dealing with a completely broken immigration system. I get it. No, no, no. Mr. Secretary, I'm not going to let you burn my five minutes. Do you know the answer? Do you know the number of people out of that two million that you've removed that aren't criminals? I do know that we have removed more aggravated felons. Right. I'm not asking about them. I've caveated that away. Because here's what I'm I'm sort of getting and what your non-responsiveness is demonstrating. The Mayorkas doctrine is this. If you show up at the border and get released into the country, if you don't commit a specific aggravated felony, which, by the way, doesn't include a lot of assault and battery, doesn't include a lot of bad domestic violence, but if you're not one of the people who commit those crimes, you get to stay forever. Is, 
Is that a fair characterization of your doctrine? No, that is false. Then tell me how many you're sending home. No, that is false. Okay, well, they, but you don't know the number of how many you've sent home. Here's another number. Two point, I'm sorry, 1.2 million people today have been through your entire process, right? They've been through what you call a removal proceeding is just an amnesty dance. Because after the 1.2 million people get an order from the judge saying that they don't have a basis to be here, you still don't remove them. Like, what's your plan to remove those people? Congressman, that is false. Okay, how many of them then? Just give me the number. Congressman, in this country, in this country, there are between 11 and 12 million. Right, but I'm asking about a subset that you won't send home. And the reason you're smirking about it and the reason you won't answer my question is because everybody gets the joke. And the sad thing is it's not just us here. It's the cartels who get the joke too. And so now what you've done to execute this Mayorkas doctrine where so long as you don't commit a crime, you get to stay here and burden our hospitals, burden our schools, burden our social services, burden our jails. You've sent the message to the cartels and then you've taken this app and you've digitized illegal immigration and you've scaled it to the moon. Like this app that you've got everybody downloading is like the Disney fast pass into the country, never to be subject to actual removal, just removal proceedings as you call them. That app doesn't do any search of their criminal history in their home country, does it? Congressman, I, I disagree with everything you have said. Well, I, I'm sure, but just answer the question. Does the app that you are out there promoting do any search of people's criminal history in their home country? Congressman, Customs and Border Protection screens and vets individuals whom they encounter. Your thoroughly. app, it either has the functionality to test their criminal history in their home country or it doesn't. By the way, if it did, you'd have already told me. It doesn't. And then the other epic failure of this that's empowered the cartels is that in these processing centers you've set up in other countries to just wave them all in at a rapid pace, the, you've had to shut them down in Nuevo Laredo because the cartels were standing outside extorting people. Isn't that right? Congressman, that is false. Oh, really? So why did you shut down that facility in Nuevo Laredo? And the, the point of safe, orderly, and lawful pathways is to reduce the number of encounters at our southwest border. But, but wait I a second. You've, been, you, you, what, you've just shifted those encounters. Because right now, for the first time in modern history, more people are showing up at the ports of entry than running through some bush in Yuma, Arizona. And the reason they're showing up at the ports of entry is because you've got the turnstile open. Or so long as they've gone and downloaded this app, you just let them in. I got one final question for you, and it's an important one. Is Mexico an ally in this fight against illegal immigration? Uh, yes, it is. So, I mean, it's hilarious and somewhat troubling that you say that, because, like, I'm looking at the El Chapo trial, where President Nieto took a $100 million bribe from the Sinaloa cartel. Do you think that the subsequent presidents following Nieto weren't offered a bribe by the cartel or didn't take the bribe? Congressman, I, I disagree with everything you have said. <laughs> Can you dig it? That. that was scorched earth, and that was phenomenal. Thank you to to uh, Congressman Matt Gates laying it all out. And, of course, he's going to sit there and smirk because everything Gates said is true. The turnstiles are wide open at the ports of entry. Everybody knows exactly when to come by way of their app. And, no, the app does not find out if they are criminals in their own home countries before they come into the United States, where they are allowed to stay as long as they don't commit a very serious felony that is a very, very short list, by the way. Then they get to stay. We have been sold out, our sovereignty and our security, by the Biden administration, the first family of crime. TJ in Cleveland. Hi, TJ. Go ahead. Yeah, hi, Bob. You know, a little news story I seen this morning. 
just to show how irresponsible Joe Biden is. They claim one of his German shepherds have already bitten eight Secret Service agents in their home. I thought and it was little, ten. Or maybe it was ten, but a yeah. little while ago, one of the other one of his shepherds in the White House was going around biting AIDS. Now, here's a guy that can't control his son, has no control over his dogs. I mean, how irresponsible is this man? And then when you think about the millions he's made, you know, overseas, he couldn't spring for a little training for his dogs? I, I don't understand this. And, 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 you know, another thing bugs me, the dual justice system in this country, if my dog bites somebody, I'm getting fined and probably sued. His dogs have bitten a couple dozen people, no fines, no lawsuits. Just another example of dual justice in America. If you're a high-powered liberal Democrat, you can get away with having your dogs chew half the country apart. Uh, the rest of us, not so much. Very, very good point. Thank you, my friend. I appreciate it. I'm pretty sure Joe is not in charge of training the dogs, but you're right. With the amount of money he's taken in, you think you could buy training. You'd think you could do that. If you don't want to take the time and the effort to train your dog, and I'm sure an 80-year-old man does not, absolutely get it done. Uh, thank you, uh, TJ. Roz in Cleveland. Hi, Roz. Fire away. Hello, Bob. Um, issue one. Yes. Definitely vote yes. Yes. But... If we do not widen our scope on what this means, we're going to lose. I just went by a yard that had vote no on issue one and a, and a sign that accepts vouchers for school. So that person needs to be told that if they don't vote yes on issue one, the teachers union can come in spend money and take away their Cleveland child from a very good private school. That's exactly right. And I'm glad you brought it up. That's the point we're trying to make. And I thought uh, LaRose, and thank you, Ross, and so many others have been making uh, last night on the TV debate. Uh, that's exactly right. It's not just abortion. There are so many other things that can be pushed through as an amendment to the Constitution. If we don't raise that threshold, vote yes on August 8th. We'll see you tomorrow. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.